Hey everyone, this is Brandy Shapiro Babin. And my name is Darren Babin of WebmasterRadio.fm. This is Bella Johnson. I'm Gary Sullivan. Hi, it's Nico Dimitria. Hi, I'm Dave Naylor. This is uh, Brian Eisenberg. Hello everyone, this is Jeff Eisenberg. This is Oil Man here. Uh, I'm Chris Tolles. I am Susan Bratton. This is Sarah McKay, Ms. Wright. Hello, everyone. It's Monty Khan. Hey, everybody. This is Greg Nyland, a.k.a. Good ROI. What's going on? It's producer Johnny Brasco. Hey, everybody. This is Mr. Intern. Hey, this is Mr. Producer. Happy Holidays from WebmasterRadio.fm. Stand by for the hook. Welcome to The Hook with Katie Kempner, Vice President of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, the most awarded advertising agency in the world. Every Tuesday at the intersection of advertising and PR, The Hook, where Katie talks with advertising visionaries, top journalists, cutting-edge creatives, authors, and PR gurus. Hear what these industry insiders have to say about the changing landscape of advertising and PR today. Now here's your host, Katie Kempner. Welcome. Hi, I'm Katie Kempner, and welcome to my very first show. I am the Vice President and Director of Agency Communications at Crispin Porter and Bogusky, and I've been with CPB for 10 years. We are now one of the most famous agencies really in the world, and I can say that even though I'm the PR Director. So anyway... I. What I wanted to do with this show, The Hook, is give you a chance to meet a lot of the people that I've met. With In my career, I've had the opportunity to meet some amazing thinkers, people right on the forefront of advertising and marketing and PR. I've gotten to know many people that are involved in all aspects of the industry, from top creative minds and reporters, people that cover the industry, newspapers, trade and business magazines. And I thought that it would be terrific if I could give a chance to sh- for you to hear what my friends and colleagues are thinking about and doing, and hopefully that will spark fresh insights and approaches for you. So please join me each week, 2 o'clock on Tuesdays, at the intersection of advertising and PR. So today, my very first guest is Chuck Porter, my boss and the chairman of Crispin Porter and Bogusky. Chuck Porter is probably one of the best-known names in advertising. He's definitely one of the smartest people I know, and I consider him a mentor and a friend. So as soon as we get back, we will talk with Chuck Porter. It's all about links, baby. Content is king, but links are what you need to get you those all-important organic search listings. Float to the top of your keyword listings within the major portals while driving targeted traffic to your website at the same time. Work with a company with a proven track record for delivering results for thousands of individual website owners and major Fortune 500 companies. TextLinkAds.com is your source for securing relevant links. Baby, textlinkads.com. The innovative services of Load.com help you easily maximize your business and bottom line. Since 1999, Load.com has offered premium web applications and business solutions for companies worldwide. Set up business and private mailboxes. Track marketing and website traffic. And assure a professional design for your website with Load's email, web stats, and DNS services. Save time. Save money. Load is your reliable source for professional web applications and business solutions. Visit Load.com. That's LOAD.com and get loaded today. Brady Residence. Hi, this is Mark with WebmasterRadio.fm. I'm calling about the new music we're playing on Monday night. Well, the songs are where they are nowadays. You can't hear the words well enough to understand that what you would have heard is something you wouldn't have understood anyway. I agree. That's why Monday night we're turning back the hands of time to the sounds of the 60s with Magical Mystery Monday. Wow. Boy. Groovy. Wow. Far out. Wait a minute. Who else is on this line? Jan Brady. Hi, Jan. Poor thing. Too bad she's a loser. A loser? Yeah. That's exactly what I am. A born loser. Oh. Well, don't say that. You've got to have confidence in yourself. I do have confidence. I'm confident that I'm a no-talent loser. Well, if you want to build your confidence, then log on to webmasterradio.fm, because we 
We've got a great lineup on Mondays with Strike Point at 3 p.m., Wizards of Web at 4, and Magical Mystery Mondays at 8 p.m. I hope you've learned something from all of this. Yes, that Webmaster Radio is the destination for education and entertainment. You are the grooviest. Wow, you can ride my range anytime. Um, uh, no thanks. Uh, I really got to go now. Commercials off. Stand by for the hook. Now here's your host, Katie Kempner. Hello and welcome back to The Hook. I'm Katie Kempner and this is my very first show of The Hook. And as my very first guest, I'd like to welcome Chuck Porter. Chuck Porter is chairman of Crispin Porter and Bogusky, which is the world's most awarded advertising agency. CPB has had the incredible distinction of winning the Grand Prix at Cannes. The Cannes International Advertising Festival is the premier advertising competition in the world. And CPB has won the Grand Prix in three separate categories, media, cyber, and the coveted film category. Since Chuck joined the agency in 1988 as creative director and partner, CPB has gained tremendous recognition and success. Our client list now includes Burger King, Volkswagen, Coca-Cola, Virgin Atlantic Airways, and Method, among many others. Chuck Porter, welcome to my show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. How was that? Did that work out? Thank you. It's nice to be here. Sorry, go ahead. No, I thought it sounded good. How am I doing so far? I think fine. Oh, okay. So, um, let's see. Hmm, where should we start? Well, I think one of the most interesting things about you is that you never had a job in an agency before you came to work at CPB. How did you get into advertising, and what were you doing before you came to work at CPB? Um, well, I got into I was in law school, and um, when I was an undergraduate in college, I, I majored in advertising because, I don't know, I thought it was easy. And, and then I went to law school, and I realized while I was in law school that the people that I was in advertising school with were much more interesting and much funnier um, and much more entertaining than the people I was in law school with. So I just got back into the business, and um, I didn't really want to go to work for anyone, so so I, I sort of became a freelance copywriter, and, and I did a few jobs and, and won a couple of awards and, and um, ended up doing that for about 18 years. It was the best job I ever had, including the one I have now. <laughs> but can you tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that, I mean, when you were a freelancer, you worked on some really amazing things, stuff for American Express and Jamaica and... How did that? How did that come about? How did you go from graduating and deciding you wanted to get into advertising to to having such prestigious accounts? Well, I I, um, I came down to visit my brother in Miami. I was in school at the University of Minnesota, and I and I came down to visit for Christmas, and and I went back to Minneapolis about the first of January, and it was about nineteen below zero, and I thought, you know. There are other places to live. So I threw everything in my car and went to Miami. And, and um, there were a couple of well-known writers in Miami that, um, that I had read about, and they'd won awards. I'd read about them in Advertising Age magazine and Ad Week and so forth. So I went to see them, and I said, I'm a writer. Um, I've done a lot of really wonderful work, and my samples are in the mail. And they said, well, okay, we'll try you. And, of course, there were no samples, but they said, we'll try you. And so... Um, after about a month, they said, well, you seem to not, not really suck at this. So, so they gave me a job. And at that time, um, there weren't a lot of big agencies in Miami. So there was really nobody, um, there weren't a lot of agencies who could afford to have, like, highly paid copywriters on staff. So there was a lot of freelance work. And because we were in Miami, we did an awful lot of work in the travel and tourism industry. And we got to be pretty well known in that particular segment of the market. So we ended up working for agencies in New York and London and a lot of other places, mostly on travel accounts. And I did, I think I've been to every single island in the Caribbean and every country in Latin America because we worked on every airline and hotel and everything else. It was a great job. It was interesting. But I think, I'm sorry, I'm done. That's it. You're done? What do you mean you're done? Well, I mean, I... I, 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 I and. Uh, I did that for a long, long time, and it was a, it was a great job, and it, it afforded an enormous amount of freedom, and I never had a boss, which was great. Um, but after, like I said, about 18 years, I was in my late 30s, and my wife got pregnant again, much to my dismay, and said, you know, maybe I ought to stay home for a while. So I decided maybe I... And, and also, I, I always had thought of advertising as just sort of something that I did for money and not anything I was terribly serious about. And when I got to be, you know, like 39 years old, I thought, well, apparently this is what I do. I guess this is my career. 
So I better start taking it more seriously. So I started the agency. And so how, how did you start the agency? I mean, I kind of know a little bit of, about it, but it was Crispin Advertising then? And well, you yeah, there was a, Sam Crispin owned an agency here in, in Miami, and they had um, the Jamaica tourism business, and they had a bunch of hotels. They had intercontinental hotels around the world, and we were doing a lot of work for him. And for a long, long time, he had been saying to me, you know, why don't you come and join me and come over and be the creative director here and, you know, come to work for the agency? And I never really wanted to, but we were in Jamaica one time. We had done a presentation, and we were drinking Red Stripe beer for a long, long time. And he <laughs> said, write down on this yellow pad what you want to come over and do this. So I wrote a bunch of stuff on the yellow pad. I want this and this and this, and I want to change the name of the agency and blah, blah, blah. And I gave it to him, and he said, okay. And I said, give me the pad back. I have more things to write. So I, anyway, that, that's the way it worked. And after a few months, I came over, and it became Crispin and Porter, and then... Um, a few years later, about three years later, Sam retired, and I bought him out. And at that time, I had hired Alex Bogusky as a young art director. I think he was about 11 at the time or 9 or something. So we just kind of went from there, and we decided let's, let's try and see if we can make a, a nationally known agency here in Miami. And that's how we made our decisions based on trying to get to that, and that's what we did. And, you know, I, and, and that's sort of when... Are these good answers so I, far? Are they? I don't, I'm concerned. Are these good questions? I, I don't they're okay. know. Yeah. They're fine. It's just a hotbed of who knows what. But what, what, what I thought, and that's sort of where I came into the picture when we were about 30 people. I don't know if you remember I said I came to do new business and some PR and asked you if I could be the PR director, and uh, you didn't seem to think that that sound you thought it sounded like a pretty good idea but I guess what I wanted to ask you and I want to ask you this about Crispin Porter Bogusky now because for people that for the two people that maybe don't know that CPB has gone in the past couple of years from being a regional shop to an internationally acclaimed advertising agency and we've grown from about 30 people to almost 400 People are always asking you about how culture played a part in that, and, and, and I know, being part of it, that it's so important to our agency, to our agency's success, the culture of it. How important do you think it is, and how do you create and maintain a culture for an agency? Um, well, I think the culture was very, very important, and, you know, the answer is I don't know how you create uh, a culture for an agency. I, I know the way we did it. We just made it up as we went along. I mean, I had never worked at another agency, so I, I think that I think we had – like uh, maybe one fundamental belief from day one, which is we we believed that everybody that we hired um, should be just as smart as we are, and we treated them that way. So I don't think you know we never really tried to to manage people very um, uh, in, in any kind of sort of micro way. I mean, basically from the beginning, we tried to hire very smart people um, who who seemed to be motivated and talented. And we let them do what they wanted to do. I mean, everybody knew what the vision of the agency was, and everybody knew that the product, the work, was the most important thing. Um, and we tried to give people the resources they needed, but we never really managed them very much. And, and I think, generally speaking, in this business anyway, the people who are the best people to begin with are unmanageable. I mean, I, I, don't, think, I don't think that you can manage them very well. And, and secondly... If you leave them alone, they'll come up with brilliant, terrific solutions. Um, and so I think, I think the culture sort of came from that. And I think even now, as we've gotten like a lot bigger, I don't really believe that the culture in this place for someone who's new, who's just coming in, comes from the top down. I think it comes from all the people um, everywhere in the place. I think that everyone's expectation of everyone else is very, very high, and I think that I think that that's where the culture comes from. So, and I think also because neither Alex nor I had ever had, you know, had ever worked a lot in any other agency or really any other company. I mean, I had never worked for anyone. I think that we didn't have any baggage. So I think that we were kind of free to say, this seems like a good idea. Let's do it. That's interesting. So you, you, you really don't think that the culture comes comes from, I think it comes from the top. I definitely think it comes from you, Alex. But do you think it, so is it, you're hiring the right people that can perpetuate that culture, or it's just sort of its own entity and it moves as, you know, as you grow, it grows with you? Or I think it's both. I think it's both. I mean, you know, our, our what we do here is we, you know, what we do is, is, is try and every day reinvent this business and, um, and, create brilliant ideas for our clients. That's what we do every day. And there are some people who really love to do that. We try and find those people, you know, and, and, and if they really love to do that, they're really going to love it here. 
And if, if that's not what their passion is, they're probably not. So I think hiring the right people is a huge part of it. But I think also when, when someone comes to work here, immediately, I think from day one, they're working with a bunch of, of enormously motivated, um, uh, very, you know, sort of, I guess, excellence-minded excellent people. And, and, and like I say, that's where I think, that's how I think they get acculturated. I think they look around and say, okay, this is apparently what these people like to do. They seem to be really, really good at it, so I guess that that's how you get ahead here. So I think that's what I mean when I say I don't think it comes from the top. I think it comes from, and I think, you know, not to be harsh about it, but I think we've kind of generated a culture here that spits out losers, where people who don't like, who don't really, really want to do this, and, and it's not what they're passionate about, they end up being not very happy here. Spits out losers. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think you're, no, actually, I I happen to think you're absolutely right. And I wanted to ask you about, I mean, we had a big announcement yesterday about us opening an office in Boulder. And I think that that sort of speaks to what you're saying about trying to create the right type of culture. Can you sort of just tell me a little bit about, you know, why you wanted to do that, open an office in Boulder? Well, um, we, you know, we, we, we sort of looked at what benefits we can give the people here because obviously, in my opinion, in this industry, the the company or the organization that can get and keep the most talented people is going to be the winner. I think that clients don't really care very much anymore, or they certainly care less than they used to about how big you are or where you are, what your global resources are, or even what your experience is. They care much, much more about where are the ideas. So I think that in this business, people who can get and keep the smartest, best, most talented people are the ones who are going to win. So we, we try very, very hard to look at ways to, to make the people that, that work here happier and make them want to stay and make great new people want to come. And, and the more we have thought about it, the more we've thought that a great benefit, you know, in addition to like whatever 401Ks and free breakfast or whatever, that another great benefit we could offer is a different choice of lifestyle. From the very beginning, um, we were in Miami because it was a lifestyle decision. And certainly we didn't decide to build this agency in Miami because this is where all the business is. There's not very much business here. You know, we'd have done that in New York or in Chicago or Los Angeles. We chose Miami because we wanted to live here. It's a great place to live. So as we've thought through it, as we've gotten bigger and bigger, we thought, you know, maybe one of the best benefits we could give the people in this agency is give them another choice of where they want to live. So we looked around America to find another place that was very different from Miami, that was probably smaller and, and had different characteristics and, and attributes in Miami, and we settled on Boulder, Colorado, which is a wonderful place to live, and it's, uh, for a lot of people it's really kind of a paradise. And we decided, okay, what we're going to do, the single best benefit we can offer our people is offer them a choice to either live in Miami or in Boulder. Um, so that's why we're opening a second office in Boulder, and based on the announcement that we made to the agency yesterday, um, apparently everyone's happy about it. I'm, I, I'm not sure that everyone's not going to move next summer, but we'll see. I'm not moving. Okay, well, at least <laughs> no, I'm not either, so that's two of us. I really like the idea of going to Boulder, and, and you know, I plan on being there, but I just don't, I don't see myself in, in Boulder somehow. Now, if we open an L.A. office... But we're not doing that. Well, I mean, but well, we have an office in L.A. already. But, I mean, the thing is, L.A. is very much like Miami, you know, yeah. in terms of, like, cost of living, and it's a big urban area. Um, we were looking for something that was very different from Miami. But I think, you know, we will always be in Miami. I mean, you know, we grew up here, and there are, you know, an awful lot of people who work for the agency have roots here and love it here. So we'll always be here. But um, I think offering another choice is going to turn out to be a very smart thing to do. So what was your vision when, when, when you decided to join on with Sam and you, you know, were having all those red stripes? And I mean, when you actually came and, and it became Crispin Importer, was this what your vision was for how the agency was going to grow? You know, I'm not really sure. I, I, think that, I think that our vision at that point was to just put our heads down and try and do better work than anyone else was doing. You know, basically, I think that that's what we thought about every day. I mean, every day we would come to work, and and I don't think we thought about, well, let's get big and open an office in Los Angeles, or let's, you know, go and get this huge account or whatever. I think we just thought about, you know, let us, here's the work we have in front of us right now. Let's do it really, really well so that, you know, people all over America, when they see it, will say, wow, this is really great stuff. And I think that 
I think that that's the vision we started with. Um, I, I mean, I had an idea in my mind. Um, a guy that I grew up with in, in junior high and high school is a guy by the name of Pat Fallon, who started an agency in Minneapolis called, it was originally called Fallon McGilligan. Um, and back in the mid-'80s, they just exploded. All of a sudden, they got you know, the Wall Street Journal, and they got all kinds of, they got Federal Express, and a lot of huge accounts all over America from starting in Minneapolis. And, and in fact, they became, in the mid and late-'80s, probably one of, the, one of the most famous agencies in the world, certainly one of the fastest-growing. And Pat was an old, old friend of mine, and I can remember being in Minneapolis and talking to him about it and watching this happen and saying, you know, I'm just as smart as he is. You know, if he can do this, I can do this. So I guess maybe in the back of my mind was the idea that, you know, if we focus on the work and just try to do really great work, that, you know, that, that there, there wasn't really any other secret to it. It's just do great work, and ultimately um, people are going to start to notice it and say, I want to buy some of that, and you're going to grow. Uh, I think probably being in Miami, it took a little bit longer, um, but that was okay. So now, so you you didn't have a vision really, and you just had this. It was more really of a. It sounds like a philosophy. So I, think, I guess it was. I mean, I, I I wouldn't say that we didn't have a vision, but I would say that our vision was pretty much limited to what are we going to do today. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. Do you have a Do you have sort of a, a vision or a hope of where the agency is going to go from here? Well, I mean, we've been very, very lucky, and, 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 you know, I think that in terms of, I don't know, in terms of the size and the whatever, the stature, you know, or the notoriety of the agency, I mean, we've certainly surpassed where I thought we'd get, and it's been terrific. In terms of, in terms of where I think the agency will go from here, I wouldn't say that I have, um, I wouldn't say that we have a goal in ter- uh, of getting to, to a certain size. I wouldn't say that we have a goal of, you know, achieving or of or of getting another certain kind of client. I think that we want to. I think probably our goal is to try and stay as, as as good as we can be, and to try and keep the work as good as it can be. You know, the larger you get, obviously, um, you you you're not as close knit as you used to be. I mean, there used to be thirty or forty of us, and we all used to hang out together every day. And as, as you get bigger, you can't do that. So I think that I, I guess my goal for the agency is that three years from now or four years from now or ten years from now, the work that we're doing is still as revolutionary as it is today. Okay, so we're going to go to a break, and then we will be right back where I'm going to start asking the tough questions. For the last decade, millions of visitors seeking top ranking have visited their site. When it comes to the Internet marketing expertise, one name clearly stands above the rest. Bruce Clay Incorporated. With a flexible, time-tested, and spam-free process to SEO and PPC, Bruce Clay has become the number one choice for companies of all kinds seeking to improve their search engine ranking, utilize their latest tools, training, consulting, and services. Let Bruce Clay create a tailored solution to meet your internet marketing needs today. Bruce Clay Incorporated. So they got pretty good food here, huh? Uh Listen, I just got a new check from a program I joined. Oh, yeah? What effective CPM are they paying you? Pass the salt. Not sure. They just send me a check, not a detailed breakout. Are you joking? No. There's lots of ways to make money, but you need to be the master of your own destiny. With ValueClick Media, I instantly adopted a national sales force that delivers recognizable ads with high CPM payouts. Mm. Plus, their new interface lets me control the ads I want to run and tells me how much I earn from each advertiser. Wow. Doesn't that sound better? Pass the pepper. Wow. Thanks for the tip. I'm going to give ValueClick Media a try. Join the ad network publishers trust most. Apply today at ValueClickMedia.com. 60-day free advertising trial on the best of the web directory. That's B-O-T-W dot org, the Internet's oldest directory since 1994. We know what you want, and we've got what you need. And hey, if you can get some free online advertising in this world with no strings attached, feel us up. I I, I mean, feel free to take advantage of this extraordinary offer and start your no-risk 60-day free online advertising trial today. Best of the web. BOTW.org. What happens when super affiliates hit the glass ceiling? They develop RevenueGateway.com. The ad network developed by super affiliates for the affiliate marketplace. Tap into the most powerful and intuitive system designed for ROI. Exclusive tier one advertisers, highest industry payouts, bonus rewards, and rock solid on time payments. Looking to be creative or need mentoring? There is always someone there for you live 24-7. RevenueGateway.com. The secret to your success. It's SC Gurus Rainmaker. Hey. 
Kempner, welcome back to The Hook. Today on my first show is Chuck Porter, chairman of Crispin Porter and Bogusky. Chuck, thank you for being with us. Welcome. <laughs> so, okay, I said I was going to ask the tough questions, but oh. but I'm not going to because, you know, I, what I did want to talk to you a little bit about is um, is creating buzz and, and sort of the best advertising becoming a part of pop culture. And I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about um, some work Certainly not the first work, but some work that's, that that was surprisingly quick on the scene for Burger King, uh, the campaign that we did, Subservient Chicken, that we did for Burger King. Maybe you could give us a little bit the history behind it and and how it exploded and also your thoughts on why it worked as well as it did? Well, you know, Subservient Chicken, um, I mean, I think that viral is very, very interesting. And I, we've learned a few things about viral, but, but where, we started, where we started from with Subservient Chicken is we started from the idea that, you know, first of all, Burger King was introducing a new kind of chicken sandwich, which, you know, depending on your point of view, is either news or a complete yawn. But they were introducing a new kind of chicken sandwich. And also, there was an issue with Burger King, because, of course, the name of the store is Burger King. So, you know, we, 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 we thought it was important to simply remind people that, hey, Burger King has chicken sandwiches, too. So we just thought a lot about a lot of different ways to put Burger King and chicken together in people's heads. Um, and an idea that came up along with a whole bunch of others was, why don't we put a chicken um, on, you know, why don't we put up a website with a chicken and you can type in commands and the chicken will do them. And it's not actually, of course, a chicken. It was a guy in a chicken outfit, a very weird chicken outfit. So we brought it to Burger King along with a lot of other ideas. And, and you know, they thought, well, it's sort of interesting. But Burger King, you know, like most big advertisers, is a pretty traditional marketer and, and Looks has never looked very has never looked very thoroughly at the internet as a way to build sort of awareness or brand awareness. They look at it as more of a as more of a transaction driver. So they thought it was interesting, and we thought it was interesting. So we did it, um, and it, it was it was relatively cheap to execute. And we did a was, what it was was a chicken that we programmed to to respond to I think roughly four hundred commands, different type commands. And if you wanted it to do something dirty, it would shake its finger at you. But in any event, we we put the site together and we did a sort of a beta test, and we sent out the link to about fifty people who were just friends of the agency, people that we knew. And within twenty four hours, it had gotten a million hits. So you know, obviously, we said, "Whoa, this is you know, we seem to have tapped into something." So we rolled the site out, and we never really did anything else. And it was pretty viral. Um, basically, we sent it to a few people, but fewer than 100. Um, and within 12 days, we, we rolled it out on the beginning of April, and within 12 days it had gotten 100 million hits. Um, it had been named by some competition in Tokyo as the best website in Japan of that year. Um, People were spending an average of seven minutes on the site talking to this chicken, and if you went, if you Googled subservient chicken, you got thirty thousand hits. These are people who are you know doing sites about this subservient chicken. So it was, it was really quite a phenomenon, and it was a it was a, an enormous viral sensation, and we were very gratified to see that, but we didn't expect that, and I think that. I think at this point, nobody can really predict which, what ideas that go up on the net are going to explode um, and become enormously popular and what ideas can't or what ideas won't because no one really has found a way to, to sort of scientifically measure what the public is going to think or do. 
And, you know, I think that the two people who have tried the hardest to do this are Hollywood and the TV networks trying to figure out if people are going to want to go see a movie or not or if people are going to want to watch a TV show or not. And they focus group them and they measure them and they do one-on-one interviews and they try as hard as they can and they still can't predict what's going to be a hit and what's not. So it's, you know, the public is fickle and, and, and the public decides what it wants to look at. So I think that what we've learned from that in terms of the viral work that we do is more ideas are better than fewer ideas. Um, and, you know, I, I think the, the, the process that we've found for, for viral right now is put a lot of stuff up and see what people fall in love with. Yeah, I mean, especially considering that subservient chicken, that site was one part of a bigger campaign, right? I mean, there was a TV component to it and and other components as well. So then the answer is just do a ton of good work and see what's going to stick. I, I think so, and I think it, it helps to have people with great instincts. You know, it helps to have people who are very, very tuned into popular culture, which, you know, I, I mean, I guess I was at one time, but probably not so much. My kids probably are. But I think it helps to have people who are very in tune with popular culture, um, people who who understand very leading edge or bleeding edge trends and thinking. It helps to have a lot of those people around, and then it just helps to have people with great instincts who can look at something and, and say, I, "I think people are going to love this." You know, and it's like, I mean, I, I go back again to the sort of the movie analogy. You know, I would rather have rather than having one hundred research experts, I'd rather have one Steven Spielberg. You know, I think that there's just an awful lot of instinct and gut feeling that goes into this and and the trick is to you know find the people who have it so that that sort of takes us to the case study of of uh what cpb did for mini right when we launched the mini in the united states can you tell us a little bit about that and a little bit about um how we did it well i mean mini was interesting you know the mini uh mini cooper it was it was an icon in europe and it had been since the 60s it was you know back in the 60s it was the car that the beatles drove and all the supermodels drove them and it was you know it's a little tiny inexpensive car um and we were, they were, you know, BMW had bought many, and, and they were, they had re-engineered the brand and redesigned the car, and were going to reintroduce it to North America. And the, you know, the problem is it was, it, it, it had never really been an icon in North America. In fact, awareness of the vehicle, the Mini, the old vehicle, was less than 10%. So, you know, it was our job to sort of turn this uh, brand, which for most people was a new brand, into an icon, um, and, and it was uh, it was sort of a very interesting challenge. And, and also, this was the smallest car in terms of dimensions, in terms of length and width. At the time that it came out, it was the smallest production car sold in the U.S. at a time when SUV sales were trending way, way up. So you know, we were introducing this little car into the teeth of a market that wanted to buy, you know, three-ton behemoths. So, so it was an interesting problem. And when we began to look at Mini, I, I think probably the, the most important insight we had or the most important decision we made is let us, let us market this in a very different way than a typical new car model would be marketed. So one of the, one of the filters that we use for all the work that we did is if if this is what one of the big car companies, any of the big car companies, including BMW or Honda or Toyota or GM or whoever, if, if this is what they would do to introduce a new car model, let's not do it. Um, let's do something else. So that led us to doing an awful lot of sort of guerrilla marketing. Um, I mean, we looked at, for example, outdoor boards. Um, typically, if you're introducing a new car model, you buy a lot of outdoor because outdoor is a good market. It's relatively inexpensive, and people are driving, and they look at it to so their car users. So rather than doing a bunch of outdoor, which would have been the typical thing, we put minis on top of SUVs with a sign on the side that said, what are you doing for fun this weekend? And we drove them through the nine or ten largest urban markets in the U.S., L.A. and New York and Boston and Miami and San Francisco and so forth, um, and we just drove them around with the, you know, these SUVs with a Mini on top. Because one thing, you know, one insight that we had is when people have an SUV, all the fun stuff, the kayaks and the mountain bikes and the skis all go on the roof. So we put the Mini on the roof. And, and it was, I mean, it was an interesting sort of I don't know, anecdote to come out of that because BMW, the BMW marketing team in Germany, when they looked at this idea, they said it's interesting, but we have no idea how to measure it. Um, and they like to measure. So we said, you know, we don't really either, but we think it's cool. So they sent people over to ride in these SUVs with the minis on the top. And at the end, um, after, you know, this tour that we did, 
um, they came. They went back to Germany and they said, "Look, we still don't know if we can, we can precisely measure this, but we know that everywhere we went, stoplights or shopping malls or wherever we went, people took pictures of us, and people didn't used to take pictures of our outdoor boards. So there's got to be there's got to be something resonating here." Um, we did a lot of things like that. And it, typically, if you're introducing a new car model, um, you buy broadcast time during sporting events because it's a good market. And then, you know, if you ever watch a football or a basketball game or whatever, half the ads are car ads because it's a great audience. Um, so we looked at that and said, okay, rather than buying ads on these sporting events, let's buy seats in the stadium. So we bought seats in Major League Baseball parks and in NFL football stadiums. We pulled the seats out, and we put a mini in. So at an awful lot of these games, baseball and football games, there were minis sitting there in the stadium watching the game. And they got an enormous amount of airtime. And the commentators talked about them. I mean, I remember we did one Monday night football game where we put a mini, uh, I think it was in St. Louis, but I don't remember, we put a mini in the stands, and it got over 60 seconds of airtime with the commentators talking about it. I mean, that's, that's a half a million dollars worth of advertising or more that we got for about 19 grand worth of seats. So we did a lot of guerrilla things like that, and I think, it helped to, I think it helped to create the personality of the Mini Cooper. And in terms of sales, um, the campaign was enormously successful. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, one of the things I think people... Okay, you have to ask me a question now with a short answer, like yes. Oh, no, no, no. I'm tired of talking <laughs> and everyone's tired of listening to me. No, you sound great. Okay. You sound really good. No, I'm going to ask you another question with like a really long answer. Because <laughs> I figure if you talk more, then I'll have to talk less. No, but what I did want to ask you about was I think one of the things that people don't know so much about CPB, they see we do this great groundbreaking work. We win tons of awards. And there are some people that that sort of do the type of work that they know is going to win a lot of awards without anything behind them. And one thing at CPB is everything is based on quite a lot of research, and we have a very um, unique and interesting research department made up of anthropologists and sociologists, and we spend a lot of time doing that, um, all types of research. And I thought maybe you could talk just a little bit about uh, Virgin Atlantic Airways, what we did for them, because that was a really unique campaign, to say the least, but it was based on very specific research. Uh, we believe a lot in research. I mean, uh, in, in, in this business, generally speaking, there are two different kinds of research. There's a kind of research that is designed to help you learn about the audience, help you learn about what their habits are and what they do and what they like and what they don't like. And, and we do an enormous amount of that kind of research. Um, and we do, we, you know, we, we basically call it a conversation. When we're running advertising, you know, I, I think people don't like announcements very much. So they have a conversation better. So when we're running advertising, we continually monitor what people are thinking about it, and, and we do a lot of that kind of research. The other kind of research is to get a bunch of people in a room and show them an idea for a TV spot and ask them if they like it. We don't do any of that kind of research because we don't believe in it, and we believe that it, you know, that it really dumbs down the work. So that we don't do, but... Um, for Virgin Atlantic, when we went out, I mean, this was basically media research. Um, Virgin Atlantic's an interesting airline. Uh, the majority of the airline's profit comes from one route, which is New York, London. Um, and and uh, it, the majority of, of that profit comes from business travelers because they're the ones who are buying the upper class and premium economy seats, and that's really where their profit comes from. So basically when we were talking to Virgin, we, we came down to the fact that this key, their key audience, the single most important audience to them was business travelers between New York and London. Um, so it was really quite simple. So all we had to do then is say, what's the smartest way to reach these people? And, and obviously a lot of them read the Wall Street Journal, they read the London Times or whatever, but we tried to be even a little bit more targeted than that. So we, you know, we kind of said to ourselves, what do business travelers who are just, you know, happen to be, predominantly male, what do they do? They're flying back and forth between New York and London. Well, what they do is they stay in hotels, and they, generally speaking, stay in hotels in either New York or London. That's what they do on their business trips. So we looked a little bit further, and we said, okay, what do these business travelers, predominantly male, what do they do when they go to their hotel? And we found out through our research that more than half of individual male travelers who check into a hotel buy an adult movie, which... Is just a fact. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not passing any judgment whatsoever. I'm saying this is the way the world is. 
more than half of them buy an adult movie, and they watch it for an average of seven minutes, which is... I thought it was fact. six. Seven, I think you're giving them a lot of credit. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I think it's six in the U.S., seven in the U.K., but in any <laughs> event... Um, so, I mean, this is, a, this is a fact that we learned about this target audience that we wanted to reach. So then I think we began to look at that and say, okay, what, what can we do with this? How can we, how can we use this to reach this audience? And, and, again, you can't just announce to them because nobody wants to be announced to and nobody wants to be sold anything. So we tried to find an, a, a, an innovative way or a creative way to get Virgin's message. And Virgin's message is very simple. They now had these sleeper seats, these... Um, these sweet sleeper seats um, between New York and London. They wanted to announce that. So what we did is is we went to LodgeNet, which is the company that you know that does all the in room movies, and we said you know we want to get on your adult movie channel. And they said well you know we don't sell that time. So we had a long long negotiation with them, and finally we said we will give you a free seven minute adult movie, which wasn't porn. It was like sort of you know it was like sort of tongue-in-cheek, uh, double entendre, a spoof of porn. It was very, very funny. We said, we'll give you this movie if you'll run the, if you're on the trailer for it. And they said, okay. <clears throat> so we gave them the movie. We gave them a 30-second you know, trailer preview that went with the movie. And so beginning then, if you checked into a hotel in New York or London and you went to lodge that, you would get this commercial for this, this sort of fake joke porn movie um, from Virgin Atlantic about these these sleep receipts that they had. And if you wanted to, you could go to the full seven-minute movie and watch it, which over a million people did. <laughs> and, um, and it was enormously successful for Virgin. Um, but it was, you know, basically it, that came directly out of research. It's too bad that we can't play the track of the movie on this show because the track by itself is pretty hysterical. <laughs> I mean, if you're, not, if you're not looking at the pictures or you're just listening to the track and you imagine the pictures, they're way worse than the pictures really were. But in any event. No, you're definitely right about that. Okay, so we are going to take a break, and we will be right back. A rose by any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN-accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R.com. More than a name. Innovative services of Load.com help you easily maximize your business and bottom line. Since 1999, Load.com has offered premium web applications and business solutions for companies worldwide. Set up business and private mailboxes. Track marketing and website traffic. And assure a professional design for your website with Load's email, web stats, and DNS services. Save time. Save money. Load is your reliable source for professional web applications and business solutions. Visit Load.com. That's LOAD.com and get loaded today. Domain Masters. The big news yesterday was that Bill Cosby won the domain name fatalbert.org. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. I think it's a relevant case because uh, he was able to justify the fact that he created the character and therefore he was entitled to it. Domain Masters, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on Webmaster Radio. Do you have a big butt? My God, Becky, look at her butt. It is so big. Are you in booty overload? I mean, her butt. It's just so big. Then laugh your ass off every day as Webmaster Radio presents Lunchtime Laughs. Eddie Murphy, Harry Seinfeld, right here every day 1 o'clock Eastern Time and you can only hear it well, you know where webmasterradio.fm commercials off stand by for the hook now here's your host Katie Kempner Hi, welcome back to The Hook. I'm Katie Kempner, and today we are talking to Chuck Porter, chairman of Crispin Porter and Bogusky. Chuck, thank you for being with us. That's it? No, no, we're not quite done. We're almost okay. done. 
But now we're just just to sort of like wrap everything up. Um, I wanted to talk before before we had to go. Um, you had given you were invited to speak at a media summit that that Reuters did two weeks ago, and I thought that it was it was really interesting because the the reporters at Reuters kept. Um, hammering away at the future of advertising. Everyone says the 60-second commercial is dead, is it? What does that mean with TiVo and so many media formats today? And I thought that you had some really very interesting answers to those questions. So I guess my first part of it is everyone says the 60-second commercial is dead. What do you think about that? No, I don't think that it is. I mean, I I think it's a complicated question. I I think it obviously isn't. I mean, I think that if you look at, you know, if you look at – at the people's viewing habits and stuff like that, that, you know, the uh, 30 second TV spot is not as, it's not as, um, as, it's not the only way to, to brand a product anymore, but it's, it's definitely not going away. But I think, I think what I said was, we don't really try very, very hard to predict what new media are going to come along. I mean, it's interesting and we look at it, but I mean, what we do know is that marketers are going to continue to have to market their brands. Um, they're going to continue to have to to create perceptions in the marketplace. They will find ways to do it, um, and they'll find ways to get the messages across. And you know, our job is to is to make those messages work. It's not really to predict what the new media is going to be. Um, the audience will tell the world what the new media is going to be because it's going to be whatever they embrace. Um, but we'll still do what we do, which is why, after forty two times of everybody there asking you. What do you think the new video iPod will mean? You uh, think it? Uh, what, what do you? What do you think though? With I, I understand you don't spend a lot of time thinking about you know how the message is going to be delivered because however the message gets delivered is however it should be delivered is how we're going to deliver it. But just things that are happening right now, like the video iPod and and messages on s- cell phones, how important is that to to what CPB is doing? Well, I, mean, I, I think that it's important. I think that it's important because I think that that the direction that we're going in, and the direction that it seems to me to be irreversible at this point, is that people are going to have more and more choice in what they look at and what they listen to. You know, back when there were three networks, if you wanted to watch whatever it was you were watching on a network, you know, Cheers or Friends or whatever, you watched it and you watched the commercials. TiVo, other delivery systems, all the rest of that stuff, what it's doing is giving people more and more choice. And they're going to decide what they want to look at or not. So it seems to me that, that it is going to, it's going to favor advertisers who either are, are more entertaining or more informational or give people a reason to look at it more. Because if they don't have a reason to look at it, they won't. I wanted to ask you just a few things about creativity. I mean, a lot of people, when they get to be senior chairman of an agency, they don't they don't stay as connected to sort of the day to day creativity or seeing what what's out there and what people are doing as you do. In fact, that's why I mean, you've been invited to be a judge at every major international show there is. You're going to be a judge at the DNADs. You've been a judge at the Clios, and they just ask you to be a titanium judge on the titanium jury at Cannes. Why is it so important to you to stay so connected to what's happening? Well, I mean, it's what we do. It's, it's the only, you know, it's the only thing that differentiates, you know, the, the, the quality of that is the only thing that differentiates us from, from anybody else who's doing this. Um, you know, so, so that's the only thing that it's about. You know, it isn't about, it isn't about finance and it isn't about, um, it's not about any of the rest of it. It's not about administration or all that stuff. It's just about the work. What what are some of the the most interesting things that you've seen out there, or the most surprising creative things that you see that are happening right now? Uh, that's a hard question. I hate to talk about work that other people are, are doing because you know it's it's. I mean, everyone's got their own opinion about about work. I mean, there's a lot of work out there that I like a lot. You know, there's. I mean, I I certainly think that. Um, um, you know, I think that the iPod stuff is very visual, and I and I think that there's a lot of wonderful work, but. But it's um, I don't know that I don't know how polite it is to talk about other people's work. <laughs> well, okay, then talk about it at CPB. What are, what's some of the the best work that you not the let me not say the best work. What's some of the most delightfully surprising, as one of our clients like to say, work that you think we're doing at CPB right now or in the past couple of months? Well, I mean, I think that there's an awful lot of it. I, I you know, and, and I also am a little bit too close to it to you know to sometimes be very. Um, 
to, to sometimes be very, uh, I guess, objective about it. So I kind of listen to what my wife says and what my kids say. You know, I have a son who's 18. And um, he's in college now, but when he was in high school, I would, you know, we would look at Burger King commercials, and I'd listen to him and his friends because that's who we're talking to. So, but I mean, I think that a lot of the stuff we're doing for Burger King, I mean, I think that that the stuff with the Burger King is just terrific, delightful, um, very, very distinctive stuff. I think it makes people happy when they look at it. I don't think it's exclusionary. I love that work a lot. And I think, you know, all the mini work that we did, I mean, uh, my wife has a mini and she deeply, deeply loves it. And I think the reason she loves it is at least partly because the advertising made her love it. So, I mean, I, I, in terms of specific stuff, you know, it's hard to say there's new stuff coming out all the time. I mean, I liked the, the thing that you were talking about before, the sort of softcore porn thing we did for Virgin Atlantic, I still think is hysterical. <laughs> Me too. Okay, so as the very last question. Yeah. Any sort of Chuck Porterisms? Any uh, any personal philosophies or anything that somebody can take away that that you've realized in your career that is useful for other people to know? Any anything that sort of drives you? I don't know. That, that's 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 a very broad, yeah, long-winded yeah, that's question. A, yeah, that's, a, that's a very broad, open-ended question. I, I, you know, I mean, I guess that there are a lot of things. I, I guess, I guess the thing is, if I guess the thing is. I, and I learned this back when I was freelancing, you know, that, that you can feel inside yourself if you're proud of the stuff that you're doing, if you're proud of the work that you do. And, you know, and, and when you have a few days and you're looking at the work you're doing and you're not very proud of it, then you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision as to whether or not the money's worth it or the money's not worth it. Um, in my experience, the money's never been worth it. In my experience, it's always been a better decision to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else that I'm going to be more proud of, whether it's, you know, a client or whatever it is. Um, and those have always been, you know, in my experience, those have always been good decisions for me. When I've, when I've thought more about how I feel about the work than about the money we're getting paid for it, um, those have always come out well. Oh, that's, that's a good one. Oh, okay. Thank you. You're leaving with a good one. Thank you very much. So... <laughs> I tried to leave with a bad one, but that's the only one I can come up with. Well, Chuck, thank you very, very much for being my first guest on my first show. And uh, please, will you come back after I've practiced a little more? Yes, I will. <laughs> thank you. Will. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. I want to thank everybody for joining me here today on The Hook. You can listen into The Hook 2 o'clock on Tuesdays. And you can also subscribe to the podcast. Thank you very much. Have a great day.